Welcome to the Locked On Grizzlies podcast, this special Super Bowl Sunday edition of the Locked On Grizzlies podcast. My name is Sean Coleman. Hope wherever you are and wherever you are listening that you are having a great start to your Super Bowl Sunday, a day that, in my opinion, is the greatest sports day on the calendar every year here in the U.S. and abroad. You know, a great opportunity for all of us to be able to kind of take a break, you know, from, you know, life right now that is continuing to be so challenging on so many different levels to enjoy a great sporting event. And, you know, if you're a fan of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or the Kansas City Chiefs, good luck to your respective teams tonight. But if you're just a fan of sports in general, it still should certainly be a good day. The special Super Bowl Sunday edition is obviously as a result of the Grizzlies game last night, a 118-109 loss to the New Orleans Pelicans. And, you know, Obviously, you know, the Grizzlies big rival right now, but unfortunately just a you know, just another, you know, proof that right now, um, in terms of the early stages of this new rivalry, the upper hand certainly goes to the Pelicans. In the first segment, we'll go into discussion I and mean, we'll dive deep into why Though the Grizzlies did lose, there were some encouraging signs that made them much more competitive in this game than they were against the Pacers and against the Rockets. But in the second and third segment, I'll also highlight a couple of very critical trends that are starting to emerge about this Grizzlies team after they've come back from the hiatus. A couple of things that you know are issues, in my opinion, some concerning trends that hopefully will be righted soon, so the Grizzlies can get back on you know a winning streak to allow for them you know really to remain in the playoff hunt, though it is early in the season. You can find the show at Locked on Grizz, myself at Stats SEC. The podcast, wherever podcasts are available, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the podcast app on your phone. And we ask that you listen, review, subscribe, you know, comment. Let us know what you think of the show and what you would like to be discussed. We always want to discuss content that is relevant to our listeners' preferences. This show also, we want to remind you, is brought to you by our title sponsor, Built Bar. If you go to BuiltBar.com, Right now, and put in the promo code locked on, you'll get 20% off your next order of Built Bar. But I can tell you this with confidence once you add Built Bar to your day, it will be there to stay. So, Grizzlies coming off, you know, two, you know, a week ago, two impressive, you know, encouraging wins in San Antonio, back to back wins in San Antonio uh, that really allowed for them to get off to a great start to division wins, you know, just really put them in a good position at being nine and six on the season. But ever since then, the Grizzlies have just kind of fallen off. Now, it was understandable, you know, against Indiana because they were on the they were on their third game over a four night stretch after having been off for two weeks. That's understandable, especially on the road. Thursday night was a bit harder to grasp, you know, especially with you know the fact that the Grizzlies were playing a team uh that you you know, was was that without Victor Oladipo that wound up being without Christian Wood for a major for a big part of the game, uh, the Grizzlies just were not able to find an answer. And then last night, the Grizzlies came into a matchup against the Pelicans, a team who overall has disappointed this year, but has been playing a bit better basketball as of late. And the Grizzlies came into the game really, in my opinion, needing to get a victory. I was really hoping that Memphis would be able to go th- to get three out of four wins in the four divisional games that they had out of their hiatus. And it looked like early on, you know, despite the Pelicans getting off to a hot start, the Grizzlies turned it right around. You know, in the, fir- in the first half of the first quarter when the starters were on the court, once again, as I had discussed in yesterday's episode, you know, the Grizzlies starters kind of fell behind, especially due to the hot shooting of Lonzo Ball. But when the, when the uh, bench unit 
units started to come on. As I had mentioned also um, in yesterday's show, our bench unit really started to find its stroke from three. While the Pelicans were started hot from three to begin the game, the Grizzlies were able to get hot, you know, as the first quarter went into the second quarter, especially from the bench unit. And, you know, with Brandon Clark out, you know, Coach Taylor Jenkins even got a bit creative. Uh, to me, a very creative but exciting and smart lineup, um, you know, um, set up. He went with uh, Tyus Jones, Desmond Bain, uh, Grayson Allen, DeAnthony Melton, and Jonas Valanciunas, who was coming back from health and safety protocols being eased back into the lineup. So they went with that lineup, and I think that it was a smart move because of how uh, much you know success teams have had against the New Orleans Pelicans from three, though it wasn't that successful. You know, overall, with John Morant's passing to the outside plus the bench shooting from three, the Grizzlies were really able to take command of the game, getting it by ahead as far ahead by 12 points, you know, getting the lead as much by 12 points, you know, in the game. Of course, Jonas was coming off the bench due to Gorgie Dane getting the start, you know, as the Grizzlies were trying to ease Jonas back into, you know, the, the, the scheme of things. Now, the Grizzlies overall just had a very successful end to the first quarter and also a very successful start to the second quarter. But as I had mentioned, you know, last week, and I, and I had hinted at earlier this week as well, one of the things that was successful for the Grizzlies before during their winning streak was in the last three minutes of the first half, the Grizzlies had developed a trend where they really took control of that last three minutes and it allowed for them to get a good lead going into halftime. There were a few games, I think three or four games, during their seven-game winning streak that lasted, you know, a little bit over three weeks that that the Grizzlies were able to come from behind to take a five-point or higher lead going into halftime due to having a really good run in the last three minutes. Well, unfortunately, the Grizzlies were up by, I believe, um, 11 points at the two-minute and 54-second mark uh, when it came to uh, the first half. Unfortunately, though, this time around, they were on the negative end of a very, very strong end-of-the-half performance by the Pelicans, especially due to the overall impact of Brandon Ingram. He absolutely took over the last three minutes, and unfortunately, the Grizzlies fell on it to a 13-0 run, and though they were able to regain the lead at the last second due to um, a foul that was called on Kyle Anderson, the Grizzlies, unfortunately, you know, were that while they did take a lead in the halftime, being up 61-60, to in large part due to the three-point shooting, they unfortunately did, were not able to enjoy the double-digit lead that they had put so much effort into getting due to the heroics of Brandon Ingram, you know, as that first half emerged. Well, in this, at halftime, you know, the big thing that I had mentioned uh, that I felt the Grizzlies were going to need to do was that they were going to need to limit the three-point shots of Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram. With how good the Grizzlies were shooting the three, Zion Williamson just absolutely was having his way down low. He did a very good job in this game, throughout the game, finding mismatches, especially against guards, to where he could get good looks at the rim, getting offensive rebounds, getting, you know, just could not be stopped once he was in the paint. But for the Grizzlies, you're okay with that, in my opinion. The Grizzlies were okay trading good looks from three for, set, for letting the, the Pelicans settle with getting Zion looks from two. But the reason why the Pelicans, beside Ingram's, you know, taking over the game over the last few minutes of the first half, the reason why the Pelicans were able to stay close was because Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram were 7 of 10 from 3. Well, that was one halftime adjustment that the Grizzlies made, and the Grizzlies were able to get ahead again in the third quarter. They were able to stop 
Ingram and Lonzo Ball during the third quarter. And though both teams did score 30 points in the third quarter itself, the Grizzlies were able to maintain their pace with good outside shooting, Jonas Valanciunas really producing in the paint, and their passing still setting up their shots, despite the fact that Dylan Brooks, John Morant, and others were not having their normal shooting games. But unfortunately, this the Grizzlies took um, this good vibe into the fourth quarter. You know, I mentioned at the fir- at the beginning of the first quarter, it seemed like the team that shot better from three and got the stops that they needed were going to win the game. And overall, the Grizzlies in the first part of the fir- fourth quarter certainly did that. Five minutes into the fourth quarter, the Grizzlies had found themselves up by seven, a 102-95 lead. And overall, they had held the Pelicans to two or seven from the field and again had really limited both Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball. But after that, unfortunately, the Grizzlies just did not have an answer. They went nearly five minutes while only scoring two points, and they could not find an answer. Though they really did a good job of stopping Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball, it was actually Eric Bledsoe that took over. I believe 11 points over the final um, four minutes or excuse me, over the final six minutes of the uh, fourth quarter, and the Pelicans went on a on a 23 to 10 run, and that wound up getting them the lead or allowing for them to earn the win um, over the Grizzlies. I mean, a, uh, excuse me, it was a 23 to 7 run that allowed for them to earn the victory over the Grizzlies 118 to 109. Now, there were a few positive things. You know, overall, the Grizzlies, despite them just deciding to, you know, just airmail threes at the end of the game, they did have another good shooting night through them getting the lead through the first 42 minutes of this game. I believe the Grizzlies were shooting 42% from three. So another impressive shooting night for the Grizzlies showing encouraging signs that their offense is starting to come to life when it comes to shooting from distance. Also, you know, Kyle Anderson scored 21 points and though, you know, he was three of seven from three overall, eight of 13 from the field, along with four rebounds and four assists. So a great across the board effort from him. But the thing is, is that there were also certain some negatives. Uh, tonight, um, Desmond Bain, Grayson Allen, Dylan Brooks obviously were not on their games as you know they struggled as well. The Grizzlies starters overall were 6 of 22 um, from 3 as well. And overall, again, the Grizzlies defense allowed the Pelicans to go 15 of 33 from you know beyond the arc for a team in the Pelicans that is among the worst in the league when it comes to shooting, you know, from you know, three. Uh, just another, you know, concerning trend when it comes to the Grizzlies in that, you know, they only forced in this game, um, the Grizzlies, you know, uh, were a bit off in terms of their production when it came to their defense. They only produced 10 total turnovers. They were not able to get their advantage that they usually rely on when they're trying to, you know, win basketball games. The advantage through, you know, causing more turnovers than the, uh, than, you know, they've commit themselves, that advantage was not there. And unfortunately, the Grizzlies just did not have the ability to overcome that by guarding the three. And that is one of the concerning things that has emerged for this Grizzlies team over this stretch of, you know, you know, overall lackluster play over this three-game winning streak. But that is the second most concerning trend, which we'll discuss in the third segment. The first one, and the most concerning trend to me so far that we've seen as the Grizzlies have come back to their hiatus is the play of John Morant. It's not that he's playing horribly. It's not that he's being inactive, and it's not that he's being productive. It's just that we're starting to see teams make adjustments to Morant, and with those adjustments being made so far, Morant has not found a consistent way to adjust back to the level the Grizzlies need for him to be at for them to be able to consistently win. Coming up, I'm going to look at that a little bit. How defenses have adjusted to Moran and how hopefully he'll need to adjust back for him to really get to the level that the Grizzlies need for him to be to get back on their winning ways. 
This episode is brought to you by 1010. Now, you may have read about this in the New York Times, in Style Magazine, or Forbes, and we're excited to tell you about it. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 one-of-a-kind engagement rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. Using only diamonds responsibly sourced from Botswana, 10 design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful commitment ring. They're available now exclusively at, at BlueNile.com, and when they're gone, they're gone. When we all know, We all know... The diamond engagement ring is iconic. It's a timeless expression of the deepest commitment between two people. And with 1010, it's been beautifully re-envisioned in the hands of 10 modern designers working exclusively with sustainably sourced diamonds. If you're ready to mark a special commitment or looking for a unique and meaningful way to celebrate Valentine's Day, you're definitely going to want to check this out. Again, this exciting limited edition collection of diamond engagement rings is now available exclusively at BlueNile.com. Get more of the sports news you need in less time with our Locked On Today podcast, uh, with our new Locked On Today podcast. Peter Burkowski hosts Locked On Today, a daily podcast bringing down the biggest stories with analysis from our local experts. Start your day with all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to Locked On Today wherever you get podcasts. As I had mentioned yesterday, in yesterday's show, now, one thing that was really starting to emerge for the Grizzlies was that they were a polarizing team in that when it comes to their starting lineup, the Grizzlies actually were the worst offensive-producing starting lineup in the NBA. They are the worst-producing uh, starting lineup in the NBA, but when it comes to their bench, they had the most productive the most productive offensive bench um, on the NBA. There's not a team out there who offensively is more productive than the Grizzlies' reserve units. And the reason why uh, there really is uh, that discrepancy, just that big of, of, of a divide when it comes to the productivity of the Grizzlies' starters with the productivity of their bench, is it starts with John Morant. Now, obviously, you know, really encouraging start to the season for Morant. You know, 44 points, just a historically, you know, impressive game for a 21-year-old to start off the season, followed by 28 points against the Hawks. And then, of course, he um, experienced his ankle injury versus the Nets um, on December 28th. So he comes back quickly, you know, after three weeks, and the Grizzlies performed really, really well without him, um, you know, in the mix. A lot of that had to do with how well they were playing defensively. A lot of that had to do with, you know, them being able to find ways to score points from multiple different sources. But another thing that really helped them out was the Grizzlies had a manageable part of the schedule. Well, as John Morant has come back, even though, um, you know, overall, since he returned from injury, the Grizzlies are four and three. And they did win four straight games with Morant, you know, back in the equation, you know, after coming back from his injury, Morant's productivity has fallen off uh, just a bit. You know, it certainly has fallen off, certainly compared to what it was to begin the season, but also obviously, you know, with where it was last year. You know, ever since Morant came back um, from his injury and seven games back, he's averaging 15.3 points per game on 44% shooting from the field. He's only he's only um, attempting 12 field goals per game, but that's also to go along with seven assists and 2.1 rebounds. Thing about it is, is that when it comes to Morant, you know, those numbers are just slightly, you know, behind where he was as a rookie. But at the end of the day, he's playing at a bit of a regressed state. 
than he was, um, you know, when he you know won his Rookie of the Year um, award, and certainly with what he showed in the bubble as well as you know in the first few games of this season. Now, part of that is is that you know, hey, he's trying to come back from an ankle injury, and also obviously because of the delay in the season. So just a you know bunch of very unique and you know. Uh, and, not common circumstances that he certainly had to deal with, um, you know, since, you know, returning from his injury. But beyond that, you know, it's still getting in the stride of things, still getting back, you know, to 100%. There also has clearly been an adjustment that teams are making when it comes to John Morant. They clearly are putting an emphasis on making sure that he is not beating, that opponents are making sure Morant is not beating them by consistently getting into the paint. And because of that, because of the adjustment that the league has made to Moran, especially since he came back from his ankle injury, Moran is having a bit of a struggle adjusting to that adjustment. You know, uh, you know, adapting his game to the new looks that defenses is throwing at him. Now, this was expected. You know, um, Taylor Jenkins mentioned in the post-game press conference last night, it's not a surprise. When Morant gets going downhill, when Morant consistently finds himself in the lane, it's devastating for other teams, not only because of his finishing ability and his ability to hit the floater and find different ways to hit his shots, but also because of his vision and how well he can pass out to his shooters to shoot the ball from three. But the reason why Morant has struggled a bit when it comes to adjusting to the league now packing the paint to prevent him from driving as much as he did last year is that there has been a clear regression in Morant's ability to shoot the ball, just in general. You know, last year when it came to Morant's ability to shoot the ball on a per-game basis, he got 10.1 points per game off of driving to the basket, and his field goal percentage on drives was 48%. Now, when it came to catch-and-shoot opportunities, he averaged 1.1 points per game on 36% shooting. Just not a lot of productivity there because a lot of times the ball is in Morant's hands. But a big thing for Morant was, was that he also averaged 3.7 pull-up points per game and shot thir- nearly 38% from the field. Not that impressive, but pretty respectable for Morant coming into the league and what that being one of the concerns about him is how would his shot translate from college to the NBA. So nothing, you know, off the charts, nothing spectacular, but Morant certainly had enough, uh, you know, he had enough of a catch and shoot pull-up game to really make teams respect the fact that, you know, if they did stop him on the drive, he still could occasionally find success when it came to shooting the basketball. Well, unfortunately, that ability, that ability to shoot either in catch-and-shoot situations, pull-up situations, basically to take what the defense has given him if the paint is not there to convert his shots, that has not been there this season overall, and especially since he's come back from injury. You know, this season on the drives, when it comes to, or especially um, since um, uh, Morant came back in the seven games that he's come back since his ankle injury, uh, Morant is averaging 9.6 points on drives and is shooting 53.2% on those drives. So he's actually become more effective when it comes to his drives. But here's the big kicker for Morant. On catch and shoot opportunities now, he's only shooting 30%. And he, but while he is averaging 1.3 points, he's only shooting 30% on catch and shoot opportunities overall. The big kicker for Morant, though, is that he has gone from averaging 3.7 pull up points per game 
last year in his rookie season on nearly 38% shooting to now averaging 1.7 points per game on 21.7% shooting. Overall, in his seven games since Morant has come back from his ankle injury, Morant is averaging four shots per game from 10 feet or farther from the basket. On those shots, Morant is eight for twenty-eight from the field, including being, um, you know, in in you know his games back. I believe now five of, um, I want to say six of twenty-two from three. But overall, if Morant is shooting the ball over the past seven games since he's come back from his ankle injury, if Morant is taking a pure jumper, he is shooting twenty-eight percent from the field. That is something that just is going to make him ineffective, and that is certainly a part of his game. We know it's a work in progress, and obviously there's a benefit of the doubt. You need to take it with the. There, there are some things that you know need to be kept in context. We're talking about seven games. We're talking about on a normal schedule, basically a two-week stretch. Any player goes through this type of stretch, especially when they are a young player. So in the general scheme of things, this isn't really that much to worry about. But you especially have to consider the fact that he's coming off an ankle injury, the interruption in the season, you know, just a lot of things that are unique and just, you know, less than ideal outside of Morant's control. But while those things certainly exist, it is starting to emerge that defenses are making the needed adjustments to limit the productivity of Morant to an extent when it comes to his ability to get in the paint into the lane. We saw glimpses of it in the bubble. Now we're starting to consistently see it. And these, and as the Grizzlies are starting to play more naturally talented teams, it's going to become a more consistent trend. And when these more talented teams, these more talented defense do this, that's simply because they're better teams. They're some of the better teams in the league, which means that the Grizzlies are going to need Morant's offensive productivity even more. Now, I mentioned at the first of the season that one thing that really needed to be consistent with Morant was him producing 45 to 50 direct points each night. That's through 20 to 25 points scored by him and hopefully 8 to 10 assists on a per-night basis. Well, right now... He's averaging about 30 direct points per night through the 15 points that he's scoring and around the 7 to 8 assists a night that he's getting. This Grizzlies team, without a lot of their best talents, though a few of them have come back, with Morant's struggles, it's going to be very hard. As I mentioned, you know, with the overall offensive production and how, you know, the struggles of the starters themselves, it's going to be hard for the Grizzlies to overcome their offensive inefficiencies if Morant is not his normal self. Now, he doesn't have to be what he does against San Antonio to start the season, but the Grizzlies would like to get to a point to where they can rely on him to produce 40 to 50 direct points each night, if he can, to really give this offense something to work with. And it certainly seems like for Morant, the answer to that is going to be his ability to find a shot. I asked him that question directly. Uh, after the game um, last night. You know, where does he feel his shot is? It seems like the looks are there. It's just that the shots are not falling. And he answered directly, I'm going to keep shooting. No matter where, if the shot is there, I'm going to keep shooting. So the mentality certainly is there. The looks certainly uh, are, are there as well. The shots just need to start falling. But until they do, 
this Grizzlies team is certainly kind of going to be behind the eight ball a bit because as as everybody describes and as they should, Morant is the true motor of this team, the heart of this team, and he deserves to be that with his aggressiveness, his competitiveness, and just how talented and wonderful he is both from a mental and physical aspect on the basketball court. This isn't meant to be a negative towards Morant, just an observation that the league has started to adjust to him as he, as the book on him has gotten a bit bigger now through 76, 77 games in his career. The NBA, rightfully so because of how important he is to the Grizzlies, they've made the needed adjustments to kind of limit his production. It's now on Coach Taylor Jenkins and his staff and Morant to make the adjustments back. It certainly is there. There's no doubt he will make the adjustments in time. It's just that for the Grizzlies' playoff chances and with there being an uncertainty about when Justice Winslow and Jaron Jackson Jr. are going to come back. Those adjustments hopefully need to be made sooner rather than later for this Grizzlies team to really stay in that playoff hunt as we get closer to the midway point of the season. But it's not just on Morant where the concern is as far as the Grizzlies coming back from their hiatus due to COVID-19. While the offense itself has certainly struggled, the overall defense, a defense that before the Grizzlies season was put on hold was was legitimately playing like a top five defense, that certainly has fallen off as well. Coming up, I'm going to talk about how the defense itself, its ineffectiveness has been just as unfortunate for the Grizzlies' success as Morant's struggles have been. Super Bowl Sunday is finally here, and of course, besides being perhaps the most celebrated sports day in the entire world on the calendar, and being a lot of fun whether you have whether your team is in the game or not, it also is one of the most exciting days when it comes to betting on the sports calendar. And there's one place for you that has you covered and one place for you to trust when it comes to any wagers you may have, and that is betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code locked on for your 50% welcome bonus. But the great thing about betonline.ag is that though it's a bit bittersweet that Super Bowl Sunday is the end to the NFL season for quite a while, there's so many other ways in which you can enjoy, you know, not only watching sports, but also potentially profiting off them as well. The NBA season is in full swing. College basketball and March Madness are in full swing as well. The NHL is going on. Major League Baseball is right around the quarter. There's so many different ways you can enjoy not only watching these games, but profiting as well. And betonline.betonline.ag has you covered. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use that promo code locked on to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbooks experts. Visit our good friends and exclusive partner at BetOnline underscore AG to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Sign up for a free account and use the promo code locked on for your sign up bonus. Hashtag BetOnline. 2021 is in full swing, and obviously many of us, you know, hopefully are sticking to our New Year's resolutions, and the overwhelming amount of New Year's resolutions each year really focus on getting, you know, better when it comes to health. Well, I talked to you about it quite a bit in 2020. A very small addition to your day that could offer big health benefits is Built Bar, the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar with plenty of health benefits and great taste. You could have it in the morning for breakfast, in the afternoon for a snack, before and after a workout. Wherever you choose to have it during your day, it certainly is a great addition. And there's 18 different flavors to choose from at BuiltBar.com, so it's going to be you know, likely that you're going to find a taste that meets your preferences. And the other thing about it is, is that when you go to BuiltBar.com right now. You can put in the promo code locked on and get 20% off your next order from Built Bar. I can tell you this, once you add it to your day, it's going to be there to stay. Again, go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code locked on to get 20% off your next order from Built Bar. 
2020 is mercifully over. It's time for a fresh start and a few more wins. If you're betting this year and want more wins, listen to Locked On Bets with your boy Q and Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports. They are picking college basketball, football, and NBA locks all winter long. Subscribe to Locked On Bets wherever you get podcasts. So we talked about how the Grizzlies, through this three-game skid, you know, a few concerning trends have started to emerge. And as I discussed last segment, you know, the, it, while Ja Morant has certainly had a less than ideal, less than ideal circumstances this year with his own injuries as well as the halt in the season due to COVID-19, it does seem like that defenses are starting to adjust to his style of play, and Ja Morant is finding struggles. You know, he's experiencing a bit of growing pains adjusting back. Now, there's no doubt in my mind with his mentality and his talent and his overall aggressiveness and desire to be the best that he can, he is going to adjust back. He's going to figure out how to make the most of how defenses are adjusting to him and adapting his game. But the overall impact on the Grizzlies team is that it certainly made them take a step back when it comes to their main source of offense, the main catalyst for their offense. Without him being as productive as he can be, it certainly puts limitations on the Grizzlies offense. But while John Morant was out, one thing that the Grizzlies were able to do was they were able to rely on very, very good defense as well as defense that was allowing for them to use their opportunistic approach on defense and turning it into offense. So basically what I mean by that is this, is that between when John Morant got hurt back on December 28th, so um, basically for a month from the day after John Morant got injured on December 29th, 2020, Till the day before the Grizzlies played, you know their their first game back a- after the return to the season, which was January 29th, uh, 2020. The Grizzlies played ten games, and in that time frame, in terms of their ranks in the league, the Grizzlies defense had this type of production. They held these type of rankings due to their play over that ten game over those ten games. The Grizzlies were first in the league in defensive rating. First in turnovers forced per game, second in points per game allowed, and 10th in defending the three. They were 10th in terms of um, limiting opponents' ability to shoot from three. Uh, The Grizzlies were limiting opponents to 103 points per game. They were forcing 17.5 turnovers per game, and they were limiting opponents to shooting only 35% from three. So overall, just really, really good play from the Grizzlies' defense, and that's what allowed for them to remain competitive and go 6-4 and four over that stretch, even without jaw for the majority of it. The defense was really producing and allowing for the offense to feed off of it. The unfortunate thing is, is that, you know, as many kind of had pointed out, and as, you know, I kind of had mentioned as well, Though the Grizzlies went six and four, and you know, legitimately, the defense, you know, had you know had an identity emerge for itself as being a very opportunistic defense that made life a nightmare for opposing backcourts. A couple of things that really did help out, you know, it helped their cause, is that the Grizzlies were playing a manageable part of their schedule, and they also had had luck in avoiding many of the better talents on the teams that they had faced. That just was a realistic aspect of things. I know the Grizzlies were dealing with their own injuries, but something that helped the defense is that on a nightly basis, they were avoiding the other team's main talents. And because of all that, there was, you know, a bit of, you know, some made astute observations that as the Grizzlies were going to start facing better opponents, their defense might start to regress. Well, unfortunately, that has been the case. 
Since the Grizzlies came back last Saturday, you know, since uh, January 30th, here's how their defense has compared in the five games back versus the ten game, the previous ten games before the halt to the season. The Grizzlies' points per game has gone from their previous ten games, allowing only 103 points per game, it's gone up to 116, which now which ranks 20th in the NBA over that time frame. The Grizzlies were um, the Grizzlies were forcing 17 and a half turnovers in their previous 10 games before their hiatus. Since the, which was first in the league. Since then, they're they're forcing 14 and a half turnovers, good for 13th in the league. But the biggest reason why the Grizzlies defense has certainly struggled is in the 10 previous games before the hiatus. Again, the Grizzlies were limiting their opponents to 35 percent shooting from three, which was 10th in the NBA. Since they have come back, in the five games that they've come back over the past eight days, the Grizzlies were ranked 28th in the league. Opponents have gone from shooting 35% from three to shooting 44% from three. And the thing about it is this, is that the Grizzlies shooting overall itself, since they, their season has returned, has certainly improved. The, the, there's not going to be a lot of success found with the Grizzlies allowing their opponents to shoot 44% from three and John Morant struggling. And that's that's the big thing that it comes down to, is with John Morant struggling, the Grizzlies have to make sure that they are staying in tune and staying committed to the things that have brought them success. And though the, though the competition overall has gotten a bit better, you know, the Pacers, the Spurs, you know, the Rockets are playing well, the Pelicans are starting to play well, you know, also... The thing about it is, is that the Grizzlies have to commit to what has brought them success, especially when their best player is a getting adjusted back to being at full health and, and, and you know being able to make the most of what the what the league is throwing at him. So the reason why the Grizzlies have had this three-game losing streak and have fallen a bit back down to earth is because their main offensive catalyst is right now going through a bit of a struggle as he's trying to adjust back to the league that's adjusted to him. But it's also because of how productive and opportunistic and effective their defense was without Jaw. The Grizzlies' defense certainly has fallen off as well. So, you know, as Jaw finds his adjustments, the Grizzlies also need to make sure they stay committed once again to preventing teams from having great looks from three, as well as forcing as many turnovers as possible. This team certainly has the talent to get the ship righted. They certainly have the talent, both Morant and the roster itself, even without Winslow and Jaron Jackson Jr. coming back. This team certainly can get back to playing similar to what it was before the hiatus of the season and what and as it did during the San Antonio um, you know, back-to-back series, you know, coming back after the hiatus. But for the Grizzlies' playoff chances to remain strong, they're going to have to figure it out quickly. And while there are some certainly some games in the upcoming that will allow for them to do that, you know, they've got to really figure out how to consistently be able to produce on defense and also um, you know, help Jaw get back to the effectiveness that he had you know, on offense before his injury. Thanks so much for tuning in to this show, uh, to this edition of the Locked On Grizzlies podcast. No, it's a tough time right now, but the Grizzlies should be able to figure it out, hopefully, especially when Justice and Jaron come back. Again, you can find the show at Locked On Grizz, myself at StatsSAC, the podcast, wherever podcasts are available, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, we are there. We ask that you subscribe, listen, enjoy, and as always, let us know what you think of the show and let us know what content you want to be discussing 
discuss, we always want to make sure we're providing the content that is relevant to our listeners' preferences. Hope you enjoy the Super Bowl today. We will be back with you tomorrow for another nitty-gritty grind session edition with the Grizzlies facing off against the Toronto Raptors also on Tuesday. Uh, GBB's own uh, Brandon Abraham will be joining me to forecast, um, you know, give a bit of a preview for the Memphis Hustles start to the season in their own version of the Orlando bubble, uh, bubble coming up on Wednesday. So a lot of great stuff. Until then, hope you have a great Super Bowl Sunday, and we'll talk to you again soon here on the Locked on Grizzlies podcast.